This is KOOP HD1 HD3 Hornsby. Hey there, welcome to the Austin Chronicle show. My name is Mike Clark Madison. I am the news editor of the Austin Chronicle, Austin's independent source of news and culture reporting since 1981. This week, our issue is called Vision 2020, which is, you know, not an original joke for us, but, you know, the concept is there. Um, And the whole issue is looking forward to the year ahead or the decade ahead or even 30 years ahead. There's some fun content in there about what we think is going to be awesome to me like in 2050. And it's riffing off of an issue that we did in 1990 that brought us to 30 years hence, i.e. 2020, i.e. Now, it'll all make sense when you pick it up, but it's a, (laughs) so it's a concept issue. And in our section, in the news section, we did some thinking ahead about what is going to be a very momentous and active year in the civic life of the city of Austin and the state of Texas and the United States of America and planet Earth. So no pressure. And we uh, talked about things that we could do, you could do, to be prepared for all of the importances coming up. I am joined today by my two colleagues, by my right hand and left hand, um, Austin Sanders, who is our staff writer who covers City Hall and AISD and is the man on the scene. And you can see him on TV every Thursday. How you doing, Austin? Pretty good, pretty good. Good to be All here. All right. And Sarah Marloff, the associate news editor, also the community editor and civics editor of the Austin Chronicle. And Sarah is actually going to be our mistress of ceremonies today. So I'm going to hand it off to her. Sarah, what would you like us to talk about? Oh. Well, I guess for this week, our Vision 2020 issue, which you explained, um, you both basically wrote about how to be better citizens. Mike, with your election guide and Austin with your piece about getting involved in local civic duties, um, I think, can you both explain a little bit more about why you decided these stories fit with the Vision 2020 theme? Yes, I was thinking that election 2020, for for the news desk, the story of 2020 is going to be the ongoing cycle of elections. And what I wrote about, as I wrote in the paper this week, you know, you look back at the like the top 10 stories that we had from last year, 2019, we had said in the issue that the one thing that these stories all had in common is that none of them were over yet. And all of them are going to plug in directly into some of these elections that we're having going forward because we've got the primary and then we've got local elections around the, the region and then we've got the general election and we're going to have city council and other big elections coming up locally. And that really is going to take us all the way through the year. And before you know it, the legislature will be back and it'll all start over again. So I think what we called on the cover was seasonal election disorder. And so we kind of laid it out, you know, kind of like how to like plan your garden, you -hmm. know, what Mm -hmm. to plant, when to plant, when to pick. Um, So, it's a handy guide for the the voter who wants to be the better the best voter they can be. Awesome. How about you, Austin? 
Yeah, I guess I was just kind of like, because I'd pitched the story at the end of 2019, and so I was kind of reflecting on the year and felt that, like, the prevailing mood for most people was, like, despair and anxiety over how bad things were getting um, in a variety of ways. Yeah. Uh, and so I wanted to kind of, like, present f- ways that people could be involved in, like, local government and, like, local political activities. Because I also thought people would be making, like, New Year's resolutions to try and be better in a variety of ways. So this was these were some ideas that people could take action on that were not like huge projects necessarily, yeah. but uh, would be ways to, to, to get involved in like making their communities better and to try and like counter that mood of anxiety and despair going into 2020. Yeah. What do you think your biggest takeaway from doing that was? And what did you learn while you were doing the research? I guess just I learned a lot about because the the three things that I focused on were um, two big like accounting efforts that are going to happen in 2021 is the annual um, census of people experiencing homelessness that the Indian Community Homelessness Coalition, ECHO, they uh, are in charge of counting everyone experiencing homelessness in the county. That happens every year. Uh, but then also the uh, census, the, the U- U.S. census, which occurs just once every 10 years, right. is happening. Um, and those are both places where people can, can you know, participate um, and kind of help, help make sure that they are done accurately and thoroughly. So that was one part, and then also looked at ways that people could could volunteer in local government through the boards and commissions that the city and county governments um, set up to kind of like help the elected officials and professional staff at both of those municipalities to kind of make their jobs more possible. And so I guess the, the biggest takeaway for me was like, you don't have to start a big project to make a difference. Right. There are a lot of different ways um, you can help the, the point in time count. For instance, it's gonna happen January 25th uh, from 3 a.m. till 7 or uh, 8 a.m. Um, and so you can spend three or four hours that one Saturday night helping out in a way that will um, have you know a pretty big impact on um, not only the lives of people experiencing homelessness because it'll help determine how much funding we get from the federal government to to help people in that situation. But I think it'll also have an impact on your own life. That was one thing I picked up talking with an ECHO staffer who's helped with these counts in the past. Um, He kind of shared that volunteers walk away from the experience having interacted with people experiencing homelessness, having face-to-face conversations with them with a maybe a new understanding, a deeper understanding of what that situation is like and the challenges that can come with not knowing where you're going to sleep, having to sleep on the streets. Um, and so in that way, it can be kind of edifying for yourself as well as contributing to the community. So I think those are some of the things I took away. That's really awesome. Yeah, and just in terms of context, so people know that when you hear the number that's, you know, at any one time, Austin has about 2,200 to 2,500 people who are living unsheltered, That's this is where it comes from. It's the point in time count. So when that in operationally, what actually happens on that night? 
Yeah, so that that's a that's a, an important point. The point in time count is just what it sounds like, just that one point in time. So there are a lot of people who are experiencing homelessness in in the region who are not counted. Uh, mm-hmm. They may uh, be in a hospital. They may be temporarily sheltered. They may be um, in jail or something. And those people um, are not counted um, in the what same way. What about people who are like living in their cars? So though they are counted if they can be found. They might be in like a parking lot or something that uh, the volunteer counters don't don't are not able to find them, and so they would not be counted. Right. But that that is the work that volunteers would be doing, basically, um, that the ECHO has mapped out the entire county in little uh, sections, and the volunteer teams will just walk each of those sections for usually two to three miles looking for people and uh, looking for people who are sleeping on the street and will approach them uh, and try to engage them in an interview process to kind of um, learn a little bit more about their background, what led to their um, circumstances of being um, homeless, how long they've been without a home and uh, different things like that. That's kind of the work of the point in time count is kind of, you know, walking around the county trying to find people uh, sleeping on the street to to develop this number, which really is just like a rough estimate of uh, how many people need assistance to get into housing. Why does it matter? Like, I feel like it's, we keep hearing about it. I've had had it in civics for like a month. Mm -hmm. Why does this matter so much? Yeah, I guess, so the the big thing is the federal funding. So um, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, who provides uh, funding for homeless services throughout uh, the country, they tie how much each region or area gets based directly on the point in time count. So the more people that are counted, the more funding um, your city or uh, uh, government will get. So that's that's kind of the big thing. Locally, the funding is not as directly tied to the point in time count, but it does give policymakers, your city council, your county uh, commissioner's court, whoever it may be, um, who are uh, divvying up uh, budgetary funds to support um, homeless services. It gives those policymakers a sense of scale and how big the problem is. So the more people that are experiencing homelessness, the more the city needs to invest in those services, which is exactly what we saw in this last budget cycle, a historic investment mm-hmm. in those services. So um, those are the two big reasons is that it directly tied to the federal funds and then locally it gives us a sense uh, a better understanding of the scale of the problem we're facing. I so, feel like I have to ask, I think people mainly like perhaps our governor who have been fueling this like fear mongering, hmm. is it dangerous? Well, th- th- that's a good question, and it's something I asked um, the Echo staffer that I was talking to about this. And, you know, he, he kind of laid out some best practices. Uh, you want to be really vocal and announce your presence, because you, you have to imagine the scenario that you're in. Someone is possibly roused out of their sleep. You know, the, the count starts at 3 in the morning, and the reason it starts early is because um, people will go out to, to jobs or, you know, shelters to get food, wherever it may be. Um, so the, the echo tries to capture them before, um, uh, they, they start moving around. Mm-hmm. So you may be rousing someone in the middle of the sleep. Um, and you know, people experiencing homelessness, sleeping on the street, they, um, are 
I think at a, a heightened vulnerability. Um, and so they're, they're used to being on the defensive. So you have to be aware of that if you're volunteering um, for this to kind of approach people, um, make your presence um, known, mm-hmm. uh, but do so cautiously um, in a way that doesn't seem threatening. And so volunteers this year will be wearing sweaters that have Echo's logo on it, which Echo's will be very familiar to anyone um, who's experiencing homelessness. So I think that will help ensure safety. This Echo staffer had recommended not to get into groups of volunteers smaller than three people, you know, just to kind of keep awareness up. But if you approach the situation, I think humanely um, and try to interact with people, um, you know, with the understanding that you're you're disturbing them, right. uh, but for a good reason that that will will kind of help um, ease any kind of tense, t- tension that may arise from these situations. Awesome. Makes sense. So we were talking about the point in time count. And one of the things that I am often asked is, are people who are experiencing homelessness counted in the actual census 20? Will they be counted in census 2020? And the answer is yes, that anybody who is actually in Austin in any shape, form or fashion on April 1st is going to be counted as an Austin resident for the purposes of the census. And in order to make sure that everybody is counted, people are working now to get the word out. Right, Austin? Yeah. So there will be a massive effort um, locally, regionally, nationally um, to uh, get as many people counted um, living in the United States as possible. Um, again, this the, the census only happens once every 10 years, um, and it's hugely important for so many reasons. Um, obviously, uh, it's directly tied to congressional representation, so how districts are drawn in each state, um, who represents you in Congress. Uh, it also determines who will represent you on the city council because our council districts are based off of uh, census data. So 21 exactly. will get new council districts. Mm-hmm. That will be based on census data collected in 2020. Um, it's also tied to uh, $675 billion distributed uh, annually by the federal government um, to fund all types of programs, uh, governmental programs. So there's just so much at stake uh, with the census. And this 2020 census is especially challenging for local governments because they're getting less support from uh, the state and the federal governments than in previous efforts. So there's been a really big push uh, by municipalities, uh, regional nonprofits to uh, start uh, outreach campaigns uh, really, you know, beginning last year mm-hmm. um, to kind of get the word out. For instance, Travis County and the city of Austin uh, formed a partnership to establish what is called a complete count committee to bring together staffers uh, from each entity to figure out how best to um, reach people, um, especially those that are going to be harder to count uh, for, for a variety of reasons. So those efforts are already underway. Um, and the complete count committees have been uh, meeting, um, uh, you know, monthly uh, since 2019, and they're uh, gearing up for the census, which begins in mid-March. Census day is April 1st, so if you haven't filled out your census by April 1st, federal employees, uh, census enumerators, will begin knocking on doors to say, 
do you need help filling this out? Why haven't you filled it out? You need to fill it out, uh, basically. And so, um, yeah, that's going to be a really important thing. And uh, one thing that has really stuck with me learning about that, that I think is simple for everyone to know is it's really important to fill your census out early. Like it's something that you'll be getting in the mail pretty soon here. Um, and uh, you can fill it out online, which would make things easier for most people. And it's important to fill out fill it out early because if you do that, when the uh, uh, Census Bureau sends out enumerators, they can skip you. They can focus their effort and their resources on people who are harder to count, maybe don't have internet access, as reliable internet access, um, who are reluctant to fill out the census because they distrust uh, the government for a variety of reasons, and the enumerators can work with them to understand that the information is confidential, um, you're not putting yourself at risk, uh, and it will help you um, with this, the government funding and representation and the government and all of that kind of stuff. So fill it out early so those employees can focus on the people who will uh, really need the help. Yeah, good to know. And I think that actually segues into the whole this whole idea that basically 2020 it's, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. Basically, Mike, what's the too long to read <clears throat> takeaway from your future? Well, I, uh, it, and yet it was often said, this is the last election cycle before redistricting. And so the the stakes are really high for a lot of these elections. In fact, this is one of the things that is really driving energy, for example, the Democratic Party here in Texas to flip the state house of representatives because they want to make sure that 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 will give them a seat at the table Mm -hmm. for redistricting for congressional and legislative districts come 2021. The same will be true in effect for Austin City Council, even though council districts are drawn by an independent commission, but that whole cycle starts again in 2021. So who wins these elections matters. Right. You know, the actions starting right now, I mean, people don't really realize this because, you know, everyone's focused on the presidential c- campaign and everyone's focused on the early states in the presidential campaign. So they're thinking about Iowa and New Hampshire, or they're getting tired of hearing about Iowa and New Hampshire. And people realize, don't realize that Texas starts voting in five weeks. Texas and California both actually start voting in mid-February, and those are the two largest states in the country, the two biggest prizes in the delegate count for the Democratic nomination. This is happening now. It's not the future. And we, coming into 2020, you know, until the very end of last year, weren't really sure how it was going to play in Texas because you had two Texans in the presidential race. They are now both gone. So, and one of them has endorsed one of the candidates. So that action is like, does Elizabeth Warren profit off of that? Does Bernie Sanders grow in strength because he's got allies here? But the important thing is this is all happening right now. A lot of energy is being invested. Uh, Money is being raised. You're going to be finding out by the middle of the month or the end of the month, depending on the race, how much money people have raised and whether they are real candidates. What does that mean? Well, it's hard to tell sometimes. And, you know, part of our job as journalists covering the election is to make these, you know, help people make these decisions. You know, who is like got a legitimate who is trying or, you know, other, you know, who is running 
some of these people, you know, they're protest candidates, they're vanity candidates. You have some races that have just enormous numbers of candidates, you know, CD, uh, Congressional District 17, which has a little bit of Austin. It's mostly Waco and College Station. There are like 17 people running in the Republican primary in that seat. Uh, it's a currently Republican held seat, but the incumbent is retiring. So someone needs to like kind of filter through that information and know like who's for real. And one of the ways, and fortunately, or, or perhaps fortunately, that you know this is that people are raising money. And from who? Do they have a lot of small dollar donations or they have a lot of big checks? And those are things that you start to learn by the end of this month, by starting next week. In the period between now and early voting, you know, those campaigns are going to be pretty frenetically trying to identify their voters. And in somewhat the same way that the census works, like if you do your census form early, then they can skip you with the enumeration. If you vote early, then you will get fewer calls and texts going forward because once you vote, they can stop trying to get you to get out the vote. Mm -hmm. Do not be mistaken that you know, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg and all the rest want your vote no later than March 2nd. And then we get to take a little bit of a break because half of the races or more on the ballot are going to end up going to a runoff anyway. Mm -hmm. And the runoff isn't until the end of May. So things like who is going to be the Senate nominee to face John Cornyn, who is going to be the nominee in some of the congressional races, that's not going to be known for a while. Interestingly, there's a whole another local election cycle that happens in between the primary and the runoff. Uh, mostly you're going to hear about it if you live like up north in Williamson County, because like Round Rock, Georgetown and Cedar Park all have mayoral elections in May. So the all, all of the local elections used to be in May. They're mostly have moved to November, but there are still some holdouts. So that all happens. Then there's the runoff. Then, you know, there's kind of a dull period during the summer. You know, remember, we're talking about seasonal election disorder. It's, it's like planting your garden. You're too hot to think it's about it. It's too hot to think so. about the election. Mm -hmm. But July is when candidates can actually start filing for local races in November, like the Austin City Council races. And in July and August is also when the city, and in particular, this is going to be of interest to Austinites, has two big decisions to make. In addition to who is going to run for council, there will be five seats up. But are we going to have a election, which is widely expected, the answer is yes, on a major mobility bond to fund a transit system, the Project Connect project. Third time's the charm. We're going to try to get rail or something rail-like. And that's going to be on the ballot in November 2020. But the plan to do that and the strategy for having to call that election has to happen by the middle of August. Also, you may remember from last year, there was a whole bunch of talk at the legislature about revenue caps and how cities and school districts and counties weren't going to have any money because they could only raise their taxes by a certain amount without going to the voters. Well, the city will have to decide, and the county, if they want to do that this year. 
And that means that they were going to have to adopt their budgets in August, which is about a month earlier than they normally do. So before the end of the summer, that w- those races and those contests will all be heating up. And so by the time it's Labor Day, not only will we be fighting over the national presidential race and all the parts and races down ballot, but we'll have all of this local action going on as well. What are like, if you had to choose like the four dates that people should be plugging into their phones right now to like not forget in the coming year of elections, what do you think those are? Well, voter registration deadline for any election in Texas is 30 days out. So if you moved in the last year, you need to re-register to vote because you can't do it on the same day. A lot of people move to Austin from other states where it's like, oh, yeah, I could just do it right when I came to vote. Nope, can't do that in Texas. So 30 days out from the election, February 3rd would be the deadline if you want to vote on Super Tuesday. Cool. Austin, what dates would you say people should be paying attention to right now? Um, so for the point in time count, it's January 25th. Um, you, you have... There's not really any deadline to apply, although you do have to com- uh, to volunteer. You do have to complete uh, a training um, either online or in person. And so uh, kind of the sooner you can do that, the better, because then you can get registered and everything and then get to know your team lead uh, and kind of like get prepared for the night of the count. Um, so January 20th, I'm told, is like a good day to be registered and prepared for all of that. So I have one random question. Not mm-hmm. really that random. But you also, in your civic duties feature, covered getting involved with city boards and commissions. I think you said there was like over 70? Mm-hmm. So many. So many. Yeah. Um, would you tell us a little bit more about what that entails and um, if you'd ever be joining one? I will not. Uh, I spend enough time at these meetings. Uh, I respect the volunteers for the work they do, uh, but definitely not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's an important part of the government. Basically, they extend the reach of your city and county elected officials. Um, these volunteers work in communities on a variety of policy issues. Uh, police oversight, healthcare, um, uh, food access, all, all kinds of stuff, to figure out what needs are in specific areas and uh, relay that information to uh, council members and county commissioners. And they're all volunteer positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a range of time and uh, uh, labor investment depending on what you you plan to do. Now, I have served on two different City of Austin boards and commissions. I was a library commissioner, and I was the chair of the Urban Renewal Board. And I can say that both of those are fairly niche. You know, it's not like a huge public, you know, we weren't in the news very often. But it was really important to the people who need your input. And, you know, often... People think that, well, they're just advisory, people do what they want, why should I bother? And the answer, and that's not true at all. I mean, your, your input is really valued within the process. Yeah. And so if you want to make a difference, it is a really good way to do it. Yeah, to, to that point, I've talked to a lot of council members uh, for the story about the importance of these 
boards and commissions. And that was one thing that I heard repeatedly, like the uh, diversity of thought and experience that board members and commissioners bring to the policy discussion is just invaluable. Um, and so if you feel like you want to contribute to uh, local policy, this is one really good way to do it. Uh, and it's, it's kind of like a stepping stone into politics. Um, it gives you a feel for um, what happens at these meetings and if you're interested in seeking elected office it's right. a good way to be introduced to that world yeah at least one of our council members started out as a commissioner correct? Oh, yes that's yeah yeah, yeah. Kathy Tovo Kathy was, Tovo was you know, made her mark on the planning commission and Allison Alter was on the parks board as well oh, I forgot that part yeah. yeah yeah so that's about it for us today and uh, hope you are all staying dry I understand that we are looking at worse weather to come. So be safe out there. I'm Mike Clark Madison. This is the Austin Chronicles show. This is KOOP. Thanks for listening.